Today we play golf. Let me show you how we do it in the pros. Welcome to Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. I never miss with the 7-Iron. A conversation with some of the most interesting innovators and entrepreneurs behind the biggest names in golf. My friends were the golf clubs. I lived on the golf course. I lived on the driving range. From Pro Talk. You should learn something from each and every single round you play. To fun from on and off the green. Why would you play golf if you don't play it for money? Just let me put the ball in the hole. This is Behind the Golf Brand Podcast with Paul Liberatore. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. This week, I have probably one of the biggest stars I've had on the show. I would say that. This week, I have Jim McLean, one of the most prolific golf instructors around. He's been a top three golf instructor for the last 30 years. Like Everybody knows Jim McLean. He has his X-Factor books. He has a series. He has his schools. He teaches the pros. And I'm really super excited to have him on the show and just kind of talk about his life and his career and what he's up to right now. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be with you. So where are you located right now? Well, I'm out at my golf school in Utah. I'm in Park City right now. My my golf school is right down the from Park City. It's in Heber City. It's called Red Ledges. Uh, Jack Nicklaus did the golf course. It was It's the number one ranked course in Utah. Nice. Cliff Drysdale does the tennis and I do the, the golf instruction. So I, I've got a great team of the teachers here and I really look forward to coming out here every summer. And feeling the cool breeze and the pretty, see the pretty trees and the pretty mountains. No doubt about it. It's pretty hot back in Miami. How many schools do you have right now total? I have six schools. I have three in the United States. I have one in Madrid, Spain, one in Mayacoba, wow. Mexico, and one in Seoul, South Korea. Wow. I have two. That's yeah. Cool. Huh? I didn't know that. And, but the main school's in Miami, right? Yeah, our my uh, our international location is in, at the Biltmore Hotel, and then we have another one on South Beach at Miami Beach Golf Club. So we get to uh, they're about forty five minutes apart. Uh, two really cool places in uh, in Miami. That's crazy. I mean, just are you traveling to all your schools throughout the year? Like even like in the one in Korea or the I know you're saying going to Europe this fall, but yeah, you well, have to my- do. My director of instruction and one of the teachers are me- meeting me in Seattle next month. So I'll be meeting with them there. And then I'm going to South Korea to my school there in 2024, May 2024. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, golf is just huge. It's huge all over the world, I think, right now. But it's really big in Korea. It's super big. I don't think people realize how big it is in Korea. It's like bigger than it is here, I feel like popularity wise i know we have the most majority of golfers and whatever but i feel like what i've noticed too in the last couple even the last couple of years and i've been saying this so, is that the korean companies are now coming here and breaking into our markets but they don't people don't know these names of these companies and these companies are like powerhouses you know like it's like oh you've heard of them and they're like you know they find out they're like the number one golf simulator company or they or they i learned a lot in the last couple of weeks of how many korean companies own American companies now or bought American companies it I was like wait that just happened I didn't even know that um it's crazy I mean it's cool but I just I just didn't realize well they have such a huge presence on the on the LPGA tour and quite a few great players on the PGA tour and other tours um that that part of the world is is definitely a, a major player in the world of professional golf no doubt about it and and they just love the game. Uh, so it's, I'm really looking forward to going over there. I was supposed to go during the COVID times and they were really pretty tough over there. So it's been three years of really not being able to travel to South Korea, but I'm going to be able to go over next year and I, I can't wait to go. That's really cool. I kind of want to talk about your, your life, right? So when, how'd you first get into golf? Did you play with your dad or like how, when you, how'd you get into golf when you were a kid? Yeah, my dad was a good player. He was an engineer for Boeing in Seattle, Washington. Um, Yeah, he he grew up catting in Minnesota and then migrated out when he was 17 to Seattle and started at Boeing. He was in the Navy in World War II. And and then, um, you know, he loved golf. He played a ton of golf. Uh, I would caddy when I was a little kid, 11, 12 years old. And, you know, we live very close to a Rainier Golf Club in Seattle, uh, not, a, not a very fancy place, a uh, little golf course. 
but a nice course. And I started playing there. I played all sports as a kid, but uh, kind of in my teens gravitated to golf. I was having, you know, some early success. Uh, so yeah, that's where I, that's where I ended up playing and learning the game. So then you learn from your dad, start caddying with your dad, and then at what point did you realize that like you're actually pretty good? Is that <laughs> well, yeah, I started winning some tournaments. My dad sent me to a really great teacher and player at Tacoma Country Club, uh, Al Mangert, who had worked under Claude Harmon in at Wingfoot in in New York, and and wow. under Tommy Armour in Boca Raton. He was a runner-up in the U.S. Amateur. He played the tour off and on for 20 years. So he was a really fine player. He helped me uh, more. And and then, you know, I got on an airplane when I was 16, flew out to the Western Junior in Chicago, out in Chicago. I lost the semifinals there. So then I said, well, you know, well, I can compete against kids, you know, in other parts of the United States. And then I played, had a pretty good junior career, and I got a four-year scholarship uh, I had a, quite a few scholarships, but I took the scholarship to the University of Houston, which at the time was the powerhouse uh, place to go. And I had a great time at Houston. Um, believe it or not, we had 40 guys on the golf team. We lived in the athletic dorm at Houston uh, with the basketball team. And um, it was quite something because 40 guys and only five guys played. So there was tremendous competition. Oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, <laughs> every day you don't ever get away from these guys either because you live with no them. we shot a score pretty much every day you know the sophomore year was rough you know um, the guys beat me up pretty bad my you know my freshman year and then uh, i was able to make the team as a sophomore a little bit in my junior and senior years we won the nca my freshman and sophomore years and we finished second my uh junior and senior years because uh we, we played against Texas all the time, and they had Ben Crenshaw and Tom Kite on the same team and some other really good players, too. Oh. So we had some great battles with them, but we were very, very disappointed to lose uh, that, especially my senior year. Very disappointed. Especially against UT, lose. right? <laughs> yeah, like UT, all we, hated, we, we didn't like it, man. <laughs> It was really awful. Like, it was a terrible No, it's anybody but, but them. You're like, any other team, it doesn't even matter. Well, it would have mattered, but yeah, especially losing to them. But, but you know, ben and, wound. ben and Tom Kite were such great players. Ben was such a phenomenal uh, young player. And she was just supposed to be the next Jack Nicklaus. He wasn't, nobody was the next Jack Nicklaus until Tiger. But Ben had a great career. He's a Hall of Famer and, and Tom Kite's a Hall of Famer. And I ended up working with both of them later in my life, but mostly with Tom Kite. Mm -hmm. But that, you know, my college years were great. I lived... Uh, with two guys that won major championships that I lived with. Uh, Bill Rogers is still a great friend of mine. And John Mahaffey is a great friend of mine. He won the PGA and Rogers won the British Open. And Fuzzy Zeller was on our team. And he won the Masters and the U.S. Open. So we had all that. four majors uh, on, on the team. And your team class. <laughs> and now you yeah. have to compete with these 40 dudes. And they're all like, <laughs> like you know, if you look back and they're all like major winners and stuff Yeah, we like didn't, that. you know, you don't think of it that much when you're in college. I mean, I knew they were good, but. Uh, you know, the big teams back then were Florida and Wake Forest, Oklahoma State's always been great. Uh, Arizona State's always been great. University of Arizona, um, USC, UCLA. But now there's so many great teams. There's so much more competition. Um, you know, I don't think anybody's going to dominate golf. Like when I left school, I, uh, Houston had won 12 out of the last 16 NCAs and finished second in the other four. I don't think that's going to happen again because, uh, you know, our coach was a huge recruiter. He recruited all over the United States. Um, that really wasn't, yeah, it doesn't really happen much now either. So, yeah, I mean, because already I think, I mean, then it was so much harder to recruit. Like, how would you know if somebody was super good unless they played a mm -hmm. tournament? You know, it's like now it's like they look on social media or they click on the internet and be like, oh, okay, right. that guy's doing good in Arizona. Let's go recruit him or talk to mm -hmm. him or whatever it is. So, when you graduated college, what year is that? 73. And then I played for a couple of years. It was mini tour golf, really. I, I missed the tour school twice. Uh, I was very disappointed. I missed, we played eight rounds uh, in 1974. And I missed it by, I missed by four shots. So it was really close, you know, over that many rounds of golf. Pretty depressing to me. I've been playing competitive golf since I was pretty much a little kid. And 
I had took a job up and uh, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I got offered a great job in Houston in a real estate company with a guy I played a lot of golf with at Houston. And, uh, you know, he, he said, look, you know, when you're going to come over here, you're going to learn the business and it's not going to be much golf. You know, you got to bear down. And then my other opportunity was to go to New York and teach up there, uh, and which gave me the winters off. And I wasn't, I just wasn't ready to give up golf. And I ended up going to Westchester Country Club, uh, which had, we had 1,800 members, uh, 45 wow. holes of golf, a hotel, and we had the tour event. I went up there and I love. I really loved it. You know, I was in charge of, at the beginning, mostly with the junior golf. I worked a little bit in the shop, but mostly I was just teaching. And I hadn't really thought about being a teacher until that time, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I ended up teaching and then we'd, I'd go play in the winter. This is like what year? 71? So, yeah, this, I started up there in 75 and I was... All right, so everybody, time- but, but hold on. What did... What- People don't know this. They probably do. But you play at the Masters, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, I played in a... I, oh, we'll I skip, played in, yeah, you skipped over that part. <laughs> well, I qualified. I played in the U.S. Junior. I played in three U.S. Amateurs. I finished fourth in U.S. Amateur. It was medal play back then. And I played in two U.S. Opens when I was young. And I made the cut in the Masters. Yeah. That's amazing. So I was, you know, I was playing, you know, and those were my You're best right years of playing. Yeah. I was right there as being, you know, uh, somebody I thought for sure I'd play the PGA Tour at that time. But, you know, you had to go through the tour school and I missed that. And I think it turned so out back to be then, the tour team. school. Was that just like I know it's different now, but like what was yeah. the tour school like you had to like win so many things? Or how did that work back then? Yeah, well, they really don't even have a tour school now that that ended about, I don't know, five or six or seven years ago. Yeah, and uh, they and just else. you just go through the corn ferry and then the top. You know, for a while it was a top 15, 20, I think it's top 30, maybe now get a PGA Tour card. They play yeah. all year and then the top 25 or 30 players uh, go on to the PGA Tour, which is a good way to do it. Not just one week or, you know, it was two weeks, but we would start with a, a regional qualifier and you had to get through that. And then sometimes there were, I think I had to go through a regional and a, a local, a regional, and then you went to the finals. So that finals was, you know, like literally the one, best, the best, right? That were not. Yeah, you had to, you know, players. we didn't have too many spots. I know when I missed, we had eighteen spots. Um, so, wow. you know, it was you had to play really well uh, those eight rounds for sure to to make it. Um, yeah, and I just didn't make it. I went up to New York and started teaching, and uh, I uh, really started to delve into teaching and the. Um, the mechanics of the golf swing and teaching beginners and intermediates, juniors and advanced players. And the, the good news for me is when the, like when the tour event came to Westchester country club, you know, I knew all the guys. I mean, those were, they were good friends of mine. I played with them. All. You played them a million times. Yeah. Played with a million times. So they would ask me to maybe watch them a little bit. And, I, I and they trusted kind of you too. Cause they already kind of knew like you had a yeah. relationship already with these guys. Yeah. So I had a, one of the things I've had great in my life is opportunity. And uh, I'll, maybe we'll get into some of the people I've worked with, but I had the yeah, opportunity at, at Westchester where we had a tour event for the five years I was there. So I, I mean, I was able to videotape and actually it wasn't video, but I could use a camera back then because it wasn't videotaped until. What's really cool though, to be able to understand is like, you're like, the, you're a very advanced instructor. Like you're one of the very first to use video and to like start really start doing that. Cause before Jim, like, I mean, even, no one was doing that or even trusted it. And I know even later on, like you, you even use like, you know, you're using launch monitors before you even knew what a launch monitor was, right? Like the data, the data shows, you know, and like, I think that's a huge differentiator with, I'm just telling people, the audience, like it's you. Yeah. Well, like with track, now it's the norm. Yeah. At Doral, I own the uh, club fitting as well and the golf school. So we, we started using TrackMan actually was for fitting golf clubs. It wasn't really the, the real thing. And with that launch monitor was not for teaching, but then we started realizing, Hey, you know, there's a lot of good things you can use for teaching. And then now it's mostly for, you know, obviously for the last 10, 12 years, it's been for teaching mostly, although obviously they use it for club fitting too, but a, a big part of it's teaching like the, is, yeah, it's like the gold standard, you know, for, I yeah. feel like launch monitor. Well, like. and, and also foresight i'm using foresight right now I you see quad 
Yeah, there's a lot of yeah, yeah a lot of tour players using that. that. It has some advantages um, for going on the golf course. So we do a lot of teaching on the golf course, and you know you just you bring out the monitor and it gives you the yardage right exact at the ground. Don't worry about yeah. it. You don't worry about yeah, crap yeah. happening out in the driving no. range or weird. So numbers. there's some advantage. Obviously, yeah. they're both great. I mean, there's there are other launch monitors pros and also cons. that are yeah. yeah. There's yeah there's pros and cons both. So I interrupt you with that story because that's why people like that like you're. <laughs> Like he was geeking out on this stuff when like no one was geeking out and he was figuring it out, which is cool because now like everybody does that. And that's just like, it's all about the data. It's all about the technology and what you can see and like what's happening. But so you started teaching in the mid seventies and what happened then? Like when it comes to figuring out the body and mechanics? Yeah. Well, I was very fortunate up in Seattle, a guy, I, I got to know uh, a guy named Carl Welty and then Carl had later had the, uh, golf school at La Costa and oh, nice. uh, I would go to see Carl and he was absolutely fanatical about how to videotape uh, and we had the first video units Sony had them in the late 70s a Betamax and then you could start buying them for not so expensive I bought mine at Crazy Eddie's down in New York City Crazy uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know Carl showed me so much and he'd been taught on video and some other things in research by a guy named Bill Glasson in San Diego, who had graduated number one out of MIT. He worked for Howard Hughes Missile, and he was a golf fanatic. Not, I love yeah. golf, and Carl taught him. And then later, he went to Golf Craft after he retired from Hughes and helped them build the, uh, a uh, Iron Byron machine, kind of the first one. Really? And then golf, wow. golf Craft was purchased by Titleist. Um, but anyway, Glasson showed Carl some great cool. ways to research. And one of them was putting the camera in exactly the same place every time. Now, when we first started videotaping at La Costa, the Tournament of Champions, you could videotape right during the tournament. I mean, it was no big deal. Nobody cared. Later, like, uh, you know, in, at tour events, you they were very... Particular. unhappy if you, you know, you could do it in the practice rounds, but you certainly couldn't do it in the tournament. We even got in really in trouble. And really, because, because yeah, they sent me a letter from the PGA tour. They were going to sue me uh, and do, you know, do something because well, like, I had copyright or something. Yeah, I had. Yeah. They said that the, there was a tremendous value in, in having a picture that we'd use to teach people. But I had over 20 teachers and we were at every one of them out on the golf course for the practice rounds. And it was particularly bad probably with Tiger Woods because we filmed every shot he hit from with about 15, it out. What's, with what's 15 the magic? guys. You know, we, we would always get a good spot because <laughs> at a tour event, you know, people walk in front of you and, you know, there's always something that happens or they don't hit a good shot. So we'd have to throw out those a lot of uh, videos. They weren't framed correctly or whatever. You're like the paparazzi back then, huh? <laughs> we were bad. Yeah, they, that tournament, man. We were we were fanatical about uh, te- you know trying to we. But then from that, every year we did studies. So I would give each of my teachers one thing to look at. So head movement, for example, like how who who moved their head the most? Did anybody not move their head? Did the head move up and down? How much side to side? And then from down the target line, did the head move out and back? Because you know one of the old myths in in golf is that the head's got to stay in one position oh yeah so, i've been yelling at about that my dad well, my dad well, my dad used to scream at me from across the fairway <laughs> and i have people telling me this i'll be like hey remember your dad would scream at you to keep your head down and i'm yeah. like no he, he's like that was so messed up and i'm like dude he did that every single time i hit a golf shot like that hasn't changed and then like a week ago a couple weeks ago my, my instructor he was like you got your head has to follow the ball like what are you doing i'm like i keep my head down he's like no dude that's not how it works Oh, yeah, it's funny. There, well, there's a lot of things that the greatest players in the world are not doing. So, um, you know, I, so for you me, learned- we de- we developed a you know a series. What, what Carl and I started to do together uh, with, with the studies was to try and to, we took uh, all the guys that had won two majors, and we decided to to find out what do they all do the same, and that's really hard to do. Just find anything that they do the same, and that's how we started doing the studies to see, okay, like, what is everybody doing? Uh, what that would, and to me, those are the real fundamentals in golf. So like a grip is not the fundamental and lining up dead straight is not the fundamental. 
because there's so many great players that don't do that. There's all kinds of grips on the PGA Tour. John Rahm's got one of the weakest grips you've ever ever seen, and Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas's super weak top-hand grips. And then some guys like Freddie Couples would have probably the strongest left-hand grip or Matt Kuchar. Yeah. yeah, and tons of guys. Well, they're all over the place. Yes, interlock grips, 10-finger grips, uh, double-finger overlapping <laughs> grips like Jim Furyk used in – to be one of the greatest players of all time, you know, a, a reverse double overlap grip that he used his whole life. Now, who who would most teachers would say if he was You're a young wrong. kid, they'd say yeah. you can't do that. You got to change it and keep your head down. And keep your head down. Don't move your head at all. Yes, and uh, <laughs> keep your left arm straight. Those things. <laughs> so you're so so. When you're in New York and you're working with like or seeing your friends at least, you know, they're tour players now or whatever, mm-hmm. like were you working with them too, like out when they're there for the tournament and they're like what happened then? Well, you're working with them as a friend. Uh you know, you, you unofficially, right? Unofficial. Yeah, oh yeah. no, unofficial. I wasn't their t- I'm not yeah. saying I was their teacher, but I'm no, just no, saying no. they would they would, you know, I'd come over, I could talk, what are you working on? What are you doing? Or what if you're working with a teacher? Not that many guys were working with teachers, you know, back then. You know, and we we kind of all did it ourselves. We might talk to them amongst ourselves, or they would have yeah, somebody take a look at them. Or, yeah, it, it was much wrong. more figured out. Yeah, much more self reliant. Jack Nicholas had a teacher, and he was, you know, Jack Grau was his teacher. That he would start the year for ten days with with Mister Grout, and he was very organized. You can tell with Jack. You know, he was very organized with everything he did. And, um, you know, so he was way ahead of his time. Now everybody's got a teacher, uh, almost. Multiple you know, teachers. Yeah. 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 You have a teacher for for the short game, for putting, putting and, for, yeah. for your full swing, you know, a physio, sports psychologist. You know, yeah, one of the big things in, my, in, in building my schools, which we maybe we'll get to how, how I got there, but oh, yeah, we is, is total game teaching. So I, I try to teach my... Uh, instructors uh this circle of teaching which is uh the full swing which most people want to do the mechanics of the full swing the safety zones and how we teach beginners versus intermediate versus advanced players and then there's the short game which is short putting long putting chipping pitching lob shots all types of bunker shots that's that's a big part and then there's the uh, management game, which is on course teaching, learning how to teach on course, teaching people the percentages where they are, they, and the percentages change from day to day how you're hitting the ball. So we try to be able to go on course instruction, and then the other part, which we're not really sports psychologists, but I've worked with most of the top sports psychologists. I do a lot of reading, so I I feel like I have to be I have to be a sports psychologist for almost everybody I work with. So the mental part of the game is important for everybody, but when you're with tour players, it's the most important thing. Because I'd say a tour player would say, if you ask them which of those four parts are the most important, every one of them would say the mental part because they all hit it pretty good and they all chip and putt pretty good. Yeah, and they all, all equal, can manage the game. Right? But, yeah. but who, who can who can stand up there with Scotty Scheffler and Roy McIlroy in the last day and shoot 66 again, you know? Very not crack mental. or buckle or the pressure. Or, yeah, you because know. you look at the PGA Tour, everybody looks great on the tour. There's no way if somebody didn't know the names to look on the in detail, watch them on the on the on the range and say this guy's the best and that guy's the worst. You couldn't. It's impossible to do that. So you when so you started using video and then what when you started using video like in the 80s was it the eight the early yeah, 80s like 70s, in the 1979 or? we got the first uh, video unit yeah started using video but very seriously using video so then we would go to tournaments and we would tape everywhere we could but it was mostly me and carl at that time i i got my first head professional job in 1979 in new york and then i moved that was at sunningdale country club a beautiful place in, in scarsdale new york and then I went from there to Quaker Ridge, uh, which is was a it's still a you know a top 100 course. It was in the top 20 at that time, and great Tillinghast golf course right adjacent to Wingfoot. Oh, nice. And then I went to to Sleepy Hollow, 
and we had a senior wow. tour event my all my six years there um, but I also did, in between that I did Quaker Ridge and Tamarisk in Tamarisk in Rancho Mirage California you might know of that course um, not too yeah. far from where you live um, I, I did two courses there for a while and then I went to Sleepy Hollow which was a fa fabulous place finally the then people that don't Go ahead. Okay. Oh, no, about like when you, so you stayed in New York for how many years then would you say? 19. But I started wow. teaching tour players at Sunningdale and the, who was the, the better first? Like, who are the people that started coming and seeing you? The most important guy for me was Peter Jacobson. And uh, Peter came to work with me over at Sunningdale and he finished second at uh, Westchester and they had him on TV and he mentioned that he'd been over to see me. So, that, you know, as wow. soon as you get that kind of national publicity, that's that's good. Um, and But I was working with most of the, the best players in the metropolitan area, some really top amateurs. One was George Zeringer I've worked with forever, who, you know, made a Walker Cup team uh, living in New York City. So that, that was a pretty incredible thing to do. Um, and I had other – and I worked with uh, – Kenny Baxt, who won the mid-amateur also, and, and he owns Friars Head now in New York, one of the top clubs in the country. Anyway, and so there were some really good what, players. What differentiated the you then, like back then, you were, were you the only person using like video and like big picture stuff, not just the basics, right? Not the base, but you know, like this is how you teach, not, you know, like you're kind of, you're outside the box. Right, and you're well, showing people I think like, in, in New York, we had a lot of really good teachers, and, and I think, uh, Definitely, a lot of guys were using video, but a lot of a lot of guys not really knowing what they're doing. They didn't really know when drawing the lines on there, where where to draw draw them and why to draw them there, and and how to look at swing plane. Um, there's a lot of, and there still is really a lot of random videoing. It's just not detailed. Um, so people are, you know, they a lot of people film from low they get up low to the ground like at the level the grip of the club but i don't teach on my knees you know that's just how i look at most people don't do that i i stand up and teach when i teach and i, I have the camera up at uh, more right here chest height up up at this level so that you know that's how you see the game and uh, we film straight down the target line and the reason Carl showed me that. And the reason Bill Glasson talked to him about it was that's the only place you can see where the ball starts. So like, where is the ball going? And that's, you know, maybe the most important thing in teaching could be like, where's the ball starting? And then why is it starting to the left or starting to the right? And then why is it curving from, from there? So we had to, our eyes had to be our track man back then. And you learn to see trajectory um you learn to see if the ball's spinning too much but you have to teach a lot to do that um i and i think because i played a lot that really helped me to to see the windows that you hit the golf ball through and if that if the ball was up shooting at all or or uh, you know not spinning enough what the land angles are but now you know on on four side of drag man we can, it shows you exactly what the the land angle is and we pretty much know what it needs to be to play on the PGA Tour, that it's, we need a steeper landing angle to stop it on really hard greens. But that doesn't apply so much for the average player, and they're not, they don't have enough speed to do that. So you, we, I think a big thing for me in, in our, in, for me in, in my golf schools and all the people that I've trained to teach is you have, you, you have to have safety zones and corridors. That's the way I looked at it because they're, there, I don't teach one swing to everybody, which is by by the way the easiest thing to do to teach a perfect swing to everybody. But we're all different. There's eight billion people on the planet. We all have different acuity, the way we see things, the way we hear information. You have to be able to talk to that person in front of you and and see what their limitations are, which could be injuries or whatever. But with the average average golfer. I am teaching the average golfer to draw the ball, to hit the ball out to the right and draw the ball to the target is the most powerful way to hit the ball for the average person. But when I taught on the PGA Tour, um, mostly I taught the other way, uh, a fade. So when I worked, say, a lot with Gary Woodland, 
in the mid you know, 2015, 2016, he'd been hooking it and we went, he went back to that paid. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. I did it with Russell Henley recently in, in 2020 and I did it with Keegan Bradley. So Keegan hit a gigantic hook when I first worked with him. And, you know, that's something we took out. Lexi Thompson, when I worked with her, I taught her a draw. We just stayed with a draw. So you have, you know, that's a very comfortable shot for her to hit. And she's very accurate doing it. And then you, some people are very good. You might have them move the ball both ways. I think it's good to be able to move the ball both ways, but I think you need a, a shot that you can depend on. And I a learned bread and butter shot, right? Like yeah. A, like yeah. A shot you can rely on every time. I know I can hit this target. No, I think absolutely. So that's what I see Scotty Scheffler doing, and John Rom, and Morikawa. They're all hitting the fade. Now, the exception to that is Roy McIlroy's hitting a draw, and obviously he is definitely one of the top uh, three to five players in the world. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. So you can't teach everybody the same thing. Uh, but Rory's got one of the flattest left arms on the uh, in professional golf, and he's comes from the inside and that's the way he's played since he was a little kid. He's not tall, you know, works and perfectly. So, you know, obviously, yeah, he's the, one of the most amazing players I've ever seen in my life. I you see when he just drives, I mean, you see how far over he's like so far, his swing is so far back and then he's able to get it straight and he comes back around and just blows my mind. Well, he, like, no, Rory only, he only maybe gets it to parallel. He doesn't go, really? Not, no, no. I don't well, like I know that, that because, <laughs> I know those things because we study them every year. But it, it is easy to get an opinion because you might see something and it it happens in a flash how fast the golf swing happens in True. one second. So there's a lot going on. I think you can be a really great teacher and teach without video, but it's tough. I like to use video to verify and just to make sure what I'm seeing outside, I, I want to be able to look at it and make sure that I can be confident in what I'm telling the person. When did you move down to Florida and start the school down there? Yeah, I, that in 1991, I a person up in New York, the, well, the Caskell family, owned Drow. And Jimmy Ballard left, who was a very famous teacher. Yeah. And uh, Ballard left and... Uh, Howard Caskill said, I want you to, to come down and do the, to run the school. And I said, well, Howard, you know, I, I think I probably have the best job in the Metropolitan. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did have the best job in New York, which had a lot of good jobs too. But I mean, I had a great place. Sleepy Hollow is hard to explain how, how beautiful it is. And it's a big move. I had two, two boys uh, and he made a great offer. So I ended up doing both jobs. I did Sleepy Hollow and Durrell for two years. But then I saw that I could do this. Uh, I could go to, to Miami. I could do very well. And it would give me the summers off. And my boys were young. I said, hey, you know, have because when I was in New York, I worked really hard. I mean, I taught, I taught a lot of nice because when I taught the outside people, I generally taught them from about five to nine at night. So it stays light till nine. Uh, yeah, far north. So, you know, I'm grinding it out pretty hard. And I'm, then on Mondays, I, or Mondays, Tuesdays, I might I play like seven tournaments a year up in the New York area. But I love competing still. You um, love it. Yeah. You're hungry. Yeah, I like that. So that was a tough thing to give up. When I went to Drell, it was all teaching. You know, I played a few tournaments, but really I, I focused my time on building a golf school. And, you know, once we did that, I saw it was going to work. I hired some really good people to work with me and um, it started to grow. And then I, I uh, expanded to PGA West where we had uh, nine golf courses. PGA West was great. So we had that for 17 years. Then 2008 happened, 2009, 2010. Doral went bankrupt. PGA West went bankrupt. They were part of a, a conglomeration that Morgan oh, really? Stanley I didn't had. That. Oh, yeah, say they all went bankrupt. So in bankruptcy, everything bell bets are off. Yeah, but uh, the uh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. I mean, so in, yeah, 2012, what, the, the uh, Trump family bought Doral. Yeah, so uh, man, I thought, yeah. well, this is going to be. I, I taught Donald a few times in New York. I mean, I'm he's a New York guy, so I knew I knew yeah. a, a little bit. Um, 
I knew it could be, you know, anything could happen. But I, I stayed there through 2018, and then I moved to the Biltmore. Yeah, it got it got pretty wild down there through you know in the in the election and all. There's a, there was a tremendous amount going on. No, no, we don't have to. I, I, get, I, I, I think everybody understands with that. So you have a school in Miami. It's your main school, right? Mm-hmm. And how many instructors do you have in Miami? Yeah, well, I was at Doral for 26 years. 25 of those years, we had the PGA Tour event at Doral. That's what I mentioned yeah. earlier on. Yeah, because I was I was very lucky because we had tour events at places where I was. PGA West for 17 years, we had the tour event. I'm at Mayakoba, we had the PGA Tour event every year that I was I was there. Um, so access, you know, when you have access to the tour players, to being able to videotape being able to do those video studies every year i felt like that put us you know on the cutting edge it's not that easy for example i i go to all the majors right now for sirius xm my job's on the range well i'm on the range i don't see any other teachers out there except the guys that are teaching the tour players so i see the top players the top teachers in the game are out teaching the best players in the world but i don't see other teachers out there um, it's a great time for me because I can I can get a lot Watch. of information, mm-hmm. and so I'm trying to stay in the game. And I've got a lot of young teachers that work for me. That uh, right now at the Biltmore we have 17 teachers and six assistants, and at uh, at my other school we have um, six teachers and one assistant. Um, I'm out here in Utah. We have seven teachers here at Red Ledges. Uh, can't wait. I'll be teaching starting next week there. So I've just been so, lucky to be at places. Yeah. When did you come with X Factor? And how'd you go yeah. with that? Well, through the uh, through all of the 80s, when Carl and I were doing this work together, I was looking. The first book I wrote was the drills book because I, I saw that. I remember that book. I used drills all the time, but there was no drills book. So I wrote the drills book myself. I took the pictures. I did everything. It was, took me a long time to sell it, but finally, Golf Digest did the book. Oh, was, I remember that. It was yeah. Very, yeah, it was very successful. And then in the, all that time, I was also looking at, well, like what else isn't being done? So everything back then, uh, when I was first teaching, was all hands and arms. Uh, say the Golf Digest schools back then, but Jim Flick um, mostly, and uh, which is, I'm not, and I teach a lot of that. So I'm, I'm not trying to say this in the wrong way. No, 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 but no. There, there was a lot of, there was a lot of teaching on what is the club doing? Is the, what's the face of the club? And, swinging the hands and arm, a lot of stuff with your feet together. But I'm watching the best players in the world, and, and I'm thinking, well, there's no book on what the, what is the body doing? Now, Hogan wrote a, a lot about the, the body in, in the Bible, book. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he talked in, in detail about it, but, but, but there was a lot I didn't agree with, like 45 degrees of hip turn and 90 degrees of shoulder turn. Well, I've been doing this video stuff forever, and I, and I could easily see that a lot of, a lot of, good players, tour players, were turning more than 90 degrees, uh, a lot more. So that, that got my interest in, you know, like what's happening. And my first thing was looking at the turns and the swing. So I looked at the knees first, and I would look at how much the knees move. They don't really, you know, they're joints. They don't turn. But if you put a line across your knees and a line across your hips, it kind of turns out like it's a doubling effect. Your knees move and turn and, and rotate and then your hips turn so that's almost like a two to one ratio and then your shoulders way out turn your your shoulder your your lower body so i was speaking a lot to pga sections then i would speak to three or four every year somewhere around the country and i started with i started talking about you know these relationships what the body's doing and i i had some uh, shafts I'd put across my shoulders and my hips, and my knees. And then I also said the fourth turn was with the head. So I, I kind of got this, I did get this from Johnny Miller in a, in a clinic we did together in Mexico. But he said, you know, the head goes with the swing back. It comes for a moment of stop and then it releases to the target. So it, the head has its own golf swing. So I said, well, you know, that's four turns, the head, the shoulders, the hips, the knees. And I presented that to, Golf Magazine, who I was writing for at that time. They never even got back to me on it. I finally called them. And they said, oh, it's, it's just too complicated, Jim. You can't put that in the magazine. No, nobody's do and, do, just do arms, arms and hands. Come on. 
<laughs> exactly. So, so I just we can draw those pictures. pictures. So I, I called him, you know, I called down to the editor and I said, look, I got a really good idea. He said, yeah, we've looked at it, Jim. Uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to drive down to New York, we'll, we'll meet all together with the writers here at Golf, Digest, uh, Golf Magazine. I said, okay. So I drove down there and we met and I said, okay, I should point it out. I said, look at this guy. This is what's happening in a golf swing with the body. Forget what the club's doing or the arms. This just what the body's doing. I said, yeah, it's pretty cool, but there's no way we can do four. That's too many. Pick two. Oh, gosh. So I said, all right, well, the most important would be the hips and the shoulders. So they, we do that, and I write an article, and then, then we have to decide what to call it. And I, John Andrasani was one of the writers, and he said, well, you know, if you look down on this, it makes an X. What do you think of that? And I said, yeah, that's a good idea. And he said, well, let's call it the X factor. I said, so he really <laughs> named it. But I said, okay. And they did the Trademark that. <laughs> they did the article, and it was the all-time number one best-selling Really? Magazine. Yeah. So then, oh you know, I was able to do taking the X to impact and then, oh, and then it, right before that, I had spoken out in California and a guy out there who was the pro at, um, the teaching pro at Bel Air was working on a machine and it was, they could measure your shoulders and your hips. And he called me and in 1992, we brought it out to Doral and it was a gyroscope on your back and it went around your hips and you could measure the you could do the measurements, which you was really it. cool. And then yeah. we put that in yeah. the article. His name was Mike McTagg. That was really cool because we could do actually do a measurement. And John Daly had the biggest uh, differential between the hips and the shoulders uh, wow. on the on the tour, and he was by far the longest hitter. Um, so that was really cool. And then that got me with some guys who read that. Lenny Clements was one. I don't know if you remember Lenny, but he he became a really top tour player. But he came and saw me based on that article because he was the shortest hitter out there and he and in this article we we showed the shortest guys and lenny was in there with a really small x factor you know uh, of, the, of the hips and the shoulders coming close to matching up anyway that's crazy then so i ended up from there two, right and his yeah, role then, yeah, and then got... from there and then i started speaking all over the world uh, to a lot well not all over the world but in but in thailand and Australia, New Zealand, That's all over the Japan, world. You're not, and, yeah, like I didn't go Europe. to Canada, Mexico, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all over the place, <laughs> and that was topic number one. You know, that's what people wanted to, and it all came from that first article. Really, really hit. You, you, you unlock something, right? You saw, you saw that nobody was talking about this, and you're seeing it, and you're like, wait a minute, like this needs to be talked about, right? Because I think. Uh, I think that's so cool. And then you pushed it too, because they're like, oh, we're not going to do that. It's too complex, right? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, bro, it's golf. Golf is complex. What are you talking about? Yeah, it, well, that was that was interesting. I'm I'm really happy that happened. And uh, I actually uh, I spoke last last year at the World Golf Science Congress, which they they go to different places around the world. And I that was what they wanted me to speak about. And I I went kind of went through it, and I told them, you know, I'm going to be writing more. Uh, I mean, a second book, X Factor Two. Uh, which I'm writing right now. But one of the things that uh, we talked about ground reaction force, where uh, they use the kinematic sequence, which in, in golf, that would be starting with your pelvis, your hips, then the shoulders, then the arms, then the hands of the club in four parts. So in that, that talk, I've written about it before, but I said it should be five, five parts to kinematic sequence. It should be the feet and knees, then the hips, then the shoulders. Because in the X factor, as we start down, I, I talked about you lower into the ground so that you can move up out of the ground. You can rise up. Now, I didn't write nearly as much as they're doing now with ground reaction force. But I wrote all this stuff before there was biomechanics. You know, there there was no biomechanics in 1990 in the 90s when i wrote in 1992 i wrote the, the first magazine article so there was no golf bi uh, biomechanics but it's it's much better now but i did show the pictures in the book of pushing down and, and i uh one of the top biomechanics guys phil cheatham was speaking there and i talked to him about it and he liked it but i haven't seen anything yet but i'm still going with the that's that starts the downswing the push into the ground 
it's interesting you say that because like i know that you um like we we're in i was introduced to jim through bob over at squares right and squares golf shoes mm-hmm. bob talks a lot about that too with like how the square shoe works in terms of you know mm-hmm. the force on the ground and like i think it's very fascinating because i don't think people understand that and like why that works that way you know and why i guess why those even those shoes even do what they do because it's all part of the same sequence and you know the right and it all starts from the, like you're saying it's, it starts from the bottom up right so it's almost like mm-hmm. that's really i mean it's fascinating i guess for the listeners who have you worked with that in the last like 10 years like pro wise that people would know because you were a lot of people like famous people and pro yeah. players yeah well you know you stop and talk to people and help them and i've, I've kind of used the people that i've I mentioned that I've worked with are people that have come t- to my facility, not yeah. people that I walked up and down the range and no, used my no, ideas no. to, but yeah, you know, in those years have been Lexi Thompson, you know, before that I worked with some other ones, but in the last 10 years was, was Keegan Bradley Who's and um, Gary Woodland moved down to Miami when he, when I worked with him, I worked with him for a long time. We, he came over pretty much every day. That's awesome. um, he was really a hard, he is a hard worker and one of the greatest guys ever. Uh, I really love so cool. Gary. And then in 2020, I worked with, uh, Russell Henley that year, Russell, um, you know, I mean, he's ended up being, he's always been a great player, but I think we really helped him with his driving. So those have been, and then Bo Hogue's been on the PGA tour. I've worked with him. My son's working with him right now, but I COVID changed things. And I'm definitely getting older, of course. I, I've, I, I'm teaching so much that it's very difficult. You know, when I worked with Gary, I, I went to probably eight tour events, and then he would come down and see me all the time. Russell, I would, I'd go to, I don't know, six or seven tour events with him. But you're on the road. You're, out, you're away. You're staying in a hotel. It's uh, not all that glamorous. Another thing that always happens on the tour is the guy will say, I'll meet you at 7.30 tomorrow morning. And then you, you get up and you go there and, and you wait on the range for four hours until they get there at noon, you know, and <laughs> you're like, oh, I like, don't well, you know, am I really doing this? I'm, I'm just sitting out here. I have loved working with Sirius XM though and doing the range. Um, I, yeah. I really enjoy Let's talk about that, that real quick. Like what is the range if people don't have Sirius and maybe why they should consider getting it? You know, well, um, you know, you gotta be this really interested in, you gotta be interested well, in golf to listen yeah. to golf on the radio, but uh, I, I just, they, they come to me periodically and uh, I'm t- giving information on who is the player working with, what are they working on. I, I probably talked to the teachers beforehand, so I know some inside information on what's going on. It's a great time for me to, you know, visit with the different teachers out there. It's also a great time for me. I, I'm interested on in the short game. I go out and watch what, what are they doing with their putting. What devices are they using? What training uh, how many aid? guys are using yeah. the line? What training aids are they using? Um, putters, how many guys? Right. Yeah. Well, what kind of putters are they using? What kind of clubs are they using? How many guys are using TrackMan? How many guys are using Foresight? How many are, are guys using Foresight or TrackMan on the range? A lot of guys don't are during the tournament are not using anything. They don't um, miss their heads, right? They just want to hit yeah. shots. And, yeah. And then a few other guys will get with a teacher and they're really working on stuff right before the tournament, which I think has always been a danger thing for me. Double-edged sword, right? (laughs) Because you think you're going to solve the problem before you go out there? Yeah, right. You're not going to solve that. Yeah, I guess if you played terrible in the practice rounds, you know, maybe you feel like there's nothing to lose. But there's no game like golf, Paul. You know that. You know, some weeks you just can't – you just can't do it. Even the best players in the world – Although I'd say Tiger Woods and Jack and a few, you know, the, the very top guys don't have Xander Shoffley. They're not having many bad weeks. They may not score great, but there are Jim McLean on that list too. <laughs> no, you can definitely see that the best players in the world are definitely better than the rest. And the guys on the tour are so good now. It is just mind boggling. I, I got there early at LA country club a few weeks, you know, a few weeks ago and, and walked around with a number of players, but I went two days with Cantley and Shoffley. And I mean, uh, and also a couple of the young, the youngest guys out there, uh, the amateurs, but 
it is just unreal how long they're hitting the ball, how great they hit the ball. So I think Tiger see, changed. I think that's what I always feel like I feel like Tiger changed the game like in so many ways, and that's another way too. Just like now you're an athlete, like you're mm-hmm. a trained athlete to play the game, not like you're just good at golf and like, but like you're training every day to like be. You know, and then we're mentioning a superstar. Just before I leave, we're mentioning squares. So I, I, I work with, and of course I know Bob very well, but um, one of the great swings in the tour right now is Sepp Straka. And, really? you know, people are starting to see that. And he I think won, he's gonna, right? I think yeah, he's going mean, to make he's... the Ryder Cup team. I really think he's going to make awesome. it. And, but I love watching him swing. Uh, Justin Thomas is struggling, you know, and you just, you look at that guy. He's always struggling. You think, oh my God. He's always doing good. He's doing crappy. Like, it's always, I think it's that look on his face all pissed off. Yeah, he's really good too. And my son lived with Ricky Fowler of Oklahoma State. So I'm really happy to see, I'm really happy to see Ricky I love Ricky. Yeah. Ricky's just Ricky. Like, he doesn't just, you know, it's not some show. It's like, he's just, you could just, I don't know, I don't know him personally, but just, I think. That's, well, that's true. He's, he's an absolute you're not hiding you know you're not you're not doing a, a show for somebody like oh i'm this guy it's like no everybody likes him because he's normal right i mean but well i really appreciate you being on the show i could talk to you for three hours uh but jim has to go play golf so um thank you so much where can people find you you your content um your books that kind of thing my look well, well we're doing more on on YouTube. I, I did YouTube uh, kind of ahead of time, but we're getting back into it now. Uh, I'm doing quite a bit of YouTube, and that's on McLean Golf. Also, Instagram's McLean Golf. Jim He's McLean. Dot- I do on Instagram. It's crazy. <laughs> JimMcLean.com for, for our golf schools. That's the easiest way to, to find me. That's awesome. But well, I appreciate it, Paul. I, I really enjoy it. I feel like I could have talked to you. Like you said, easily for, for another three hours. I, could, I have like a million other questions I could ask you too. I just I was trying to like hit all the main points. About well, we're gonna people. one more thing. We're gonna do this big fundraiser for juniors again in the in December. So I don't know if anybody's interested in that, but um, that's gonna be a big thing for us. And uh, speaking, I'm gonna be speaking in in Paris, France, to the French Federation in September, and wow. in Madrid, I'm doing two days for the Spanish Federation in October. So we'll have a nice trip over to Europe and uh, I'm looking, you know, it's always when I do any of these talks, I, I feel like I'm going to learn a tremendous amount from the guys there. And that's really how you got to keep going. It's like a continuous learning process to, to, you know, to stay at the top of the teaching game. Well, I'm, I'm honored to have you on the show. Uh, like I tell him, telling Jim before this show, like my dad had his like video <laughs> books when I was a kid. Like I remember seeing it. So like, it's cool. I told, like I told my dad earlier, I was telling him like, Oh, guess what I'm on the show today. It's Jim McLean. He's all excited. He's like, Oh really? It's like, so I'm really happy you're here to join us. Um, thank you. And uh, thank you for, for being with us. And you guys can check out Jim McLean. He's like, like I said, he's top instructor in the, in the world. So thank um, you, Paul. I hope I see you in Arizona someday. I'd like to come out and tee it up with you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Behind the Golf Brand Podcast. You're going to beat me? The golf? Stay connected on and off the show by visiting golfersauthority.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Golf is always more fun when you win. Stay out of the beach and see you on the green.